This week's podcast brought to you by Liquid Height. Well, the kids have been out of school for three weeks now. Um, they're going to camps in the morning. They're, they've got some scheduled stuff, but we have reached that point in the summer already before July where I go to the, uh, to the little photocopier in my office and find a photocopy of Gunnersaurus, the stuffed animal arsenal mascot. So we've reached that point already in summer boredom where the kids are Xeroxing their stuffed animals. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Well, I've just set up the podcasting equipment in the basement here, and as I was doing it, my little brother John called to say that he was catching up on the podcast, and he just wanted to say that uh, he listened to the Sam Farmer episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can ever put him in a room with Sam Farmer and a case of beer, he'd be eternally grateful to me. He so enjoyed <laughs> Sam's stories. He, he then added in classic brother fashion that, wow, what a letdown the next podcast was after that. It went from the all-time high to the all-time low when um, you and Rebecca were just breaking down the word tabernacle for about 20 minutes. <laughs> he does realize he doesn't have to listen, right? I said to him, I said to him, as with all of our podcast listeners, you're welcome to your money back. Right. And he replied, <laughs> well, what about my time? Where do I get that back? I just love the fact that you start by saying your little brother, because of course, John is younger than you, but John is 6'5 and outweighs you by, what would you figure? I mean, John is a thirty-five bills, maybe physically imposing specimen of a of a Russian man, and uh, <laughs> I just love that you call him your little brother. That's sweet uh, and mentally imposing as well, <laughs> right? Uh, a couple days ago, this past weekend, I was in Atlanta calling the Atlanta Dream Washington Mystics game, and it was interesting travel to get there. My flight was delayed. I landed midnight, got to the hotel. And there was a line to check in, and uh, and Carol Lawson was actually the first person in line checking in. But as I'm standing in a line that's maybe three or four deep, this uh, drunk guy came over to me. Um, I could tell he was drunk. He reeked of alcohol. I would say he was in his mid twenties. I think there for there was a huge convention in town while you while we were there, and he said, uh, as I'm holding my iPhone, he said, uh, by any chance do you have an iPhone charger that I could borrow for the five minutes it takes you? to check in. And I just looked at him and said, no, which was honest. Of course, I did have an iPhone charger. I just didn't have an iPhone charger that he could borrow. But I just thought the cojones on this guy to come up to a p perfect stranger. Granted, I'm sure it was a lot of a lot of it was the liquid courage what that I was going to give him my iPhone charger. And of course, I wasn't going to get it back. Uh, he was going to disappear somewhere to an outlet. And five minutes, what exactly would that... Um, five minutes have done for him. But uh, apparently I looked like, I looked friendly enough that he thought he could, uh, he would ask me for to borrow my iPhone could, charger. Could you just repeat your, your euphemism for alcohol? What did you call it? That he was bombed? No, oh, Liquid Courage? The Liquid Courage? The Liquid Courage, yes. Is this a 1950s 
a scared straight documentary that you made? <laughs> no, that was that w- we would we would often use the phrase uh, "liquid courage" when I was in college, or after that, if some random guy usually is if I was with other tall women and a short guy came over and like asked us to dance or he wanted was, to talk to us, we'd he, say, "Oh, he's he's." He was working on, on liquid courage or, or liquid height, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Because that those those human beings tended at the beginning of the night to stay away from us, but by the end of the night, they were uh, willing to talk. Well, while you're we're, we're in a hurry today, and uh, while you're talking to me, I'm I'm reading, as I frequently do while you're talking to me, and I'm just looking at combing through viewer mail. And since you were in Atlanta to do the the Mystics um, Dream Game. We had a question about that from a viewer, and I I wanted to read it to you before we get to viewer mail, and that is uh, from Hannah. Hannah writes, Hi, Steve and Rebecca. My name is Hannah. I'm a rising college freshman from Arlington, Virginia. I'll be attending college up your way, playing basketball for Con College. Go Camels. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Good for her. Absolutely. Love your podcast. My dad and I started to listen to you guys during our AAU and college visit road trips and our hooks now. That's fantastic. Thank you, Hannah. My question is for Rebecca. I'm a huge Mystics fan, and I was watching the Mystics Dream Game on Sunday where you and Carol Lawson were stuck behind the bench while commentating. Does it bother you that you weren't given the space to do your job properly? All I could think about was that announcers for the NBA are never stuck in the stands while working. Rebecca? <laughs> well, I love the, this perception of it. So uh, it started last year. I think it was the idea of our coordinating producer, Rodney Vaughn, um, to have a game where, where Kara and I are each uh, just near a bench, and it's kind of announcing a game in a different way as we can hear a lot of what the coaches are saying um, it's a different perspective and so that's what this game was we normally aren't stuck behind the benches as she puts it we are normally over on the other side at the announce table but for this particular game you were stuck there on purpose yeah we were stuck there intentionally and uh and so I was near the Atlanta bench, Kara was near the Washington bench, and it really is a, a different perspective because you can pretty much hear anything that the coaches are saying as they're going back and forth. The one thing that was interesting to me, Atlanta coach Nick, Nikki Collin was totally her body language. Whenever a shot went up, she was leaning kind of like you would when you see golfers uh, t- you know, putting on the course and they lean to try to get uh, the ball to go where they want it to go. She was doing that a ton in these, you know, three-inch stiletto heels um, and some of the things that she would be saying as she was going uh, back and forth on the sideline was, was were interesting. So anyway, we were not stuck over there and uh, more importantly, good luck next year at Connecticut College. My, fir- my only year with the Connecticut Sun, the franchise's first year of existence, we practiced every day at Conn College. That was our practice facility. The Connecticut Sun now have their own practice facility, but but it was fun the year that we were there. So the other night at home here, uh, our daughter said that um, came into the room and said, uh, there's no water coming out of the tap. She went to brush her teeth, 10 p.m., and we have no water. So we checked the taps. There's no water. I do some light Googling, and we're on. We have a well. We don't have town water. And I'm told that uh, by Google that uh, we may not be getting electricity to the um, whatever moves the, uh, the well pump. And this is when, for people who have wells, they understand this. If you know a storm is coming in and you might lose power, one of the things you do is you fill your bathtub with water. And the reason you do that is so that you can flush your toilets. Because if you lose power and you're on a well, you cannot flush your toilets unless you have the water in the tub that you then you know use a bucket or whatever to pour into the toilet. So right. anyway, we, that was our ass- assumption was that there was some issue, electrical issue, because it was very similar to when you lose and, power. And I grew up with town water, as most normal human beings have, and and the whole notion of filling the bathtub with water 
in case the power goes out, I've always found ludicrous. Well, and you always roll your eyes at it. But after this experience, when you had to make repeated trips, well, we haven't had the downstairs. Yet. We haven't told okay. them the experience yet. Well, I'm just saying we were out of water, so you had to make repeated trips down okay, okay. to fill a bucket of pool water so that we could flush our toilets. But anyway, go ahead. Um, so we called an electrician. The electrician came out and told us in ten seconds that it was it wasn't uh, an electrical issue. It was a pump issue, and you got to call this guy to uh, take a look at the, the well pump. I called the guy, left a message. He called back and said, and I quote, how are you? And before I could answer, he said, obviously not good if you're calling me. Eight hours later, uh, his crew had pulled 480 feet of wire out of our 460-foot deep well, and the dead pump connected to it and replaced the pump. We handed over a giant novelty tennis tournament sized check to him and um, and restored water. But what I love about home ownership is you didn't even I didn't even know this thing I didn't even know a well pump existed. I knew water came out of the tap. But twenty four hours later I just love spending a lot of money to restore the status quo to to what it had been uh, a day earlier when you didn't even know or care that it existed. Yes, that was fun. They, I really liked the guys that uh, that fixed the problem, though. Good guys, honest guys. Um, anyway, we, we I now know, too, that uh, every two years I will call them and they will come and uh, tune up whatever they tune up with your well. Um, it's very Golickian, having all this home maintenance stuff right. that you well, learn about in, in phases. I've already written it down on the calendar so that in two years um, I know to call them and make that appointment. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> your bank account is uh, substantially uh, less, and you have really nothing to show for it, I suppose, other than the water that you had two days before. And the fact that they... they necessarily had to cut away part of a metal fence to get their equipment around the wellhead right uh, means that it's the gift that keeps on taking. So we have to replace fence, which we had to anyway because the snow plow plows all the snow against it and collapses part of it. And um, it, it's it's home ownership. I look forward to moving into a... Uh, of home ownership. Yeah. Now we're moving on from that, or moving back, actually, to my trip to Atlanta. And it's been a long time, but here is an Uber driver confession. He drives part-time, it's not his chosen profession, but it gives him a chance to share his life's lessons. It's time for the segment we call Uber Confessions. So I already mentioned that my flight was delayed to Atlanta. Got there at midnight, needed to get to the hotel, order the Uber. The Uber, uh, the app says it'll be there in six minutes. Well, of course, it's there in, I think, 15 minutes, which if I had known it was going to be 15 minutes, I would have taken it, taken a cab. Anyway, the driver pulls up, pleasant young man. As soon as I get into the car, he said, sorry, but we need to stop and get gas. My gas lights on saying I have less than a gallon left and I have no idea when it came on. It's midnight. All I want to do is get to the hotel. You've heard the you've heard the phrase gaslighting. People uh you know, it comes up a lot these days. Yes. You, you know where you're you're um, think you're the crazy one because everybody else particularly in, in the political realm is 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 lying or and you're thinking am I the crazy one? 
or are they they're gaslighting me? Right. This is a different kind of gaslighting. You're being gaslit by your Uber driver. I'm yes, literally being gaslit as I look at his, you know, console and see that the light is on. So I'm thrilled with this. But we drive a little bit. Fortunately, we don't run out of gas and he uh and he fills up the tank and and is somewhat apologetic to get me to the hotel. But uh, anyway, that's the first time in, in, in all of the times that I've taken Ubers that, uh, that that has happened. I would have preferred that if it was going to happen, it didn't happen at midnight after I'd already been on a three-hour flight delay. But When you're going to have to volunteer your, your phone charger to a guy at check-in? Right. You don't know that yet? Right. I don't know that yet. Uh, so just good times all around. So yes, so after, you know, the guy asked me for my charger and I've checked into the hotel again late at night, made later by the Uber driver not having gas, um, I check into my room and we were staying at one of the suites hotels where your room is open to the atrium. So anybody who's in the lobby of the hotel can see which room. Where you have the curtains that open onto the lobby. Well, even better in this room because I, I, uh, I walked in and it was blinds. So I had to turn my blinds to uh, shut out the lobby uh, from my room. So the kind what, of vertical blinds? Yes, that like never wooden. Wood, no, they were wooden oh. ones. So you just had to turn. Um, but they were they were they were secured at top and bottom. I love the ones yes. that, that sway like, a, like yes. a grass skirt on a hula dancer. And if you sneeze, you blow open the blinds. Yeah, it wasn't that. Usually, there's it? usually three or four of the slats are missing, so it looks like a hockey player's smile. <laughs> um, you must have written that. I didn't write that. No, before. I didn't. Yes, yeah. When I was writing ad copy for a vertical blind catalog. <laughs> I'm just, just sounds like something that, that would have uh, been in Sports Illustrated at some point. Anyway. So as I'm going into my room, it wasn't okay. As I'm going into my room, I'm thinking, okay, if the guy who's who I just turned down in terms of the charger, he if he's in the lobby right now, he could see which room I'm going into, and he could harass me. He could um, whatever. Anyway, I'm I'm not a fan of those hotels, and the first time, especially filled with the liquid courage or the liquid height, right? With filled with his liquid height, Um, I distinctly remember. And I think this is the first time I ever stayed in one of those hotels was the Big East tournament, my junior year of college. And it w- they were being held at Rutgers. And we were there. Um, or maybe actually, I'm sorry, it was uh, it was the regionals um, my junior year. And we were uh, staying in Piscataway. It was Embassy Suites or one of those. And um, one of those great Bugs Bunny towns, Piscataway. Yeah. And, uh, and Beach. a bunch of UConn fans were staying in the hotel as well. And I just remember not only, you know, we'd come back from practice or come back from a game and there'd be a ton of fans there, but they could see every every one of the players and what rooms they were staying in. And I just remember Chris Daly, um, the, the assistant coach then, just saying, we will never stay in one of these hotels again because you know, for the safety of the players, because, you know, the fan base at UConn is terrific, but there are often, you know, players or fans that are extra excited about seeing certain players. And um, they certainly did not want them to know which rooms the players were staying in. But it it pertains to anybody traveling and staying in a hotel who would want, I mean, it's ridiculous that they designed hotels that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know who... I like like, who, like yeah. who says, all right, I want to stay in a hotel where my when I open my door, I walk into essentially, you know, uh, a catwalk over the lobby. And, and I'd like to pay extra for a lobby view. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the only thing when I stay on the road is I, I, I won't stay on the first floor. I don't like staying on the first floor. The one time we've talked about how I was staying uh, when my flight was delayed. I think I was in Detroit staying in the room that had the uh, mirrored 
walls that surrounded the jacuzzi. That was um, on the first floor. But uh, when I can, I try to avoid it. We're going to have a, a shorter podcast today because you have places to be. I have places to be. We don't want to further offend my brother John. I was say, it's who, mostly so that we don't take too much of John's John's time. Yeah, John's time, this, yeah. This, consider this part of our our time give back to my brother John uh, for all the time that we've wasted. And as he said to me on the phone today, I, I mean, I guess after seventy five episodes, you would eventually run out of material. But something about that tabernacle discussion really really upset stuck him. Stuck huh? in his craw. Well, too bad. <laughs> I agree, but. For that reason, let's get uh, let's get to viewer mail, shall we? We shall. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. First of all, Doctor Siegel uh, often sends me links to stories in the New York Times. I can I can. Um, I never had the heart to tell him that I, I read the New York Times and uh, most of these stories I've seen, but I appreciate him sending them to me because I never think of it um, to bring it up on the podcast. And the one that he sent this week is, people are taking emotional support animals everywhere. States are starting to crack down. And it, there's a photograph of a uh, a gentleman, young gentleman in Florida, I think, with his emotional support duck named Prima Donna. And... Uh, and doctors write these notes that say this animal is necessary and and a company which i didn't know this the national service animal registry is a for-profit company that sells official looking vests and certificates for owners in 2011 they had 2400 service and emotional support animals in its registry eight years later they have 200,000 200,000 and they make vests for animals like ducks well they they make a harness here for this gentleman's emotional support alligator. It emotional support alligator? There's a picture of this in York, Pennsylvania. Wally the alligator was approved by his owner's doctor in York, PA, and has an emotional support How uh, big is the alligator? Is it like a full-size alligator? Holy cow. How can that be anything but an emotional well, detriment? We, we always talk about airplanes, but, but the bulk of the story is about apartments, and landlords are starting to get upset that... Uh, you know this guy. I don't know that that this crocodile or alligator is in a uh, is in an apartment, but but that they don't. You know this is an excuse for no pet apartments to get. Uh, and I'm not I'm not impugning the integrity of most people uh, who use an emotional support right animal or 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 or, or woodwind or cello. <laughs> right. Well, this is funny. When I've been traveling, if I'm if I'm not watching basketball games on the plane, one of the TV shows that I've um, been watching again, because you and I watched this years and years ago, is Boston Legal, which came out in the mid 2000s, like I think 2004, 2005, that era. And I recently, one of the episodes was about a, a landlord who was trying to kick a tenant out um, because she had an emotional support duck. And what's amazing, right if any, if, if anyone exactly ripped if, from the headlines, right. ripped from the headlines of the future, somehow. right? If anybody um, has watched Boston Legal, it's one of the great shows of all time. Um, but if you went back and, like I am now, and watched some some of the um, episodes, everything, even though it's a complete, you know, it's two administrations removed it, it, um, politically, everything is r relevant now, including the the episode about the emotional support duck that the landlord is trying to evict. Well, uh, Michael Michael A. in uh, in Kansas City writes, 
I chuckled with recognition when Rebecca chided Steve for being unaware of the shirt he was wearing during a recent trip to the grocery store. Just a few days ago, I was sitting on my front step with my legs extended in front of me and my hands at my side. When looking straight ahead, I could see my shoes and the ends of my shorts, but not my shirt. I mentally challenged myself to remember what shirt I was wearing. After a minute of serious concentration, I surrendered, looked down and thought, oh yeah, that one. It's further evidence that women are from Venus and men are from, wait, what planet are men from again? Now, here's the question. Is it because um, you saw yourself that morning in the mirror and just forget what shirt you put on? Or did you get dressed and didn't even really look at the shirt, didn't look in the mirror, and gave so no, you just g- don't know? Gave no consideration to what, what shirt to put on. I, I feel if it's in my drawer, then then I, I have vetted it at some point, and therefore it, it can go on. Um, and also... Check yourself out in the mirror. I, that's not something that I'm inclined to do very often. Well, I mean, it's inevitable for me as I'm putting my contact lenses in and brushing my teeth that I'm going to see myself in the mirror. But I guess you would need to do both of those things to start your day in order to <gasps> How dare you. see that. Anyway, this is what I want to get at from Michael's email. You also mentioned the WNBA player who con- contested a shot with her eyes. Uh, I saw I saw John Quell Jones, I think. Yes, it was John Quell. Yep. In the 1980s, Michael writes, the University of Missouri had a notoriously quirky player named Derek Chivas. Of course, Derek Chivas, the Band-Aid man. He always wore a Band-Aid on his forehead, even though he didn't have an abrasion of any kind there. Who remains the school's all-time leading scorer. His favorite defensive stance saw him drop into a deep crouch, leaning forward at the waist. He stood forehead to forehead with his opponent, staring deeply into his eyes. Derek called this technique (laughs) face-checking. Well, it's funny because when I was at the game this past weekend, the the Washington at Atlanta game, at one point on air, I mentioned, I think it was Tiffany Hayes, that she had uh, contested a shot with her eyes. Her hands were down, the shot went in, and that that was not particularly good defense. Um, but it's funny you mentioned, you know, defensively, forehead on forehead. Um, this happens sometimes when I'm watching, especially the WNBA, but also happens in college where a, a defensive player will have her face and head right up in the offensive player's space. And the offensive player will just move the basketball, and when they do, they, f- you know, their elbow or some part of them gets the defender in the face, and it drives me nuts when the refs call that a foul on the offensive player. Get your face out of their space. I think that should be a, a, an actual rule in the rule book. The face cannot be in the space. It, it's it's we've talked about this before, but you know, Catholic school dances leave room for the Holy Spirit. I think that needs to be a rule. In uh, basketball at, as well, the defense needs to leave a little room for the Holy at Spirit. At the same time, isn't the defender entitled to face space? They're not entitled to put their face leaning forward into... It's like having a conversation. Each person has their close individual talker. space. You can't be a close talker. You can be a close defender-ish, but not with your face. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure an offensive player would get away with an argument to the referee that, that the defender was violating his or her personal space. It would be if they put it in a rule book. Okay. Uh, James writes, Rebshun Stevebo. This is uh, a variation on Restiva, evidently. I submit into the Stone Phillips, Stony Curtis, Tough Curtis name game, the former Milwaukee High School. Now, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, I can't catch you up at right. this point. But, right. Go uh, back and listen. Suffice to say that, that Stone Phillips slash Stoney Curtis has become a, uh, a, a hero slash heroine of the Ball and Chain podcast. Uh, I submit to, into the Stone Phillips, Stoney Curtis, Tough Curtis name game, the former Milwaukee high school recruited hard by the alma mater that I share with Steve. 
University of Maryland, and now Chicago Bull, drum roll please, Diamond Stone. Diamond Stone is in the G League in the Bulls organization, played seven games for the Los Angeles Clippers. I had to look up Diamond Stone. Um, Diamond Stone is a professional baller. Uh, uh, James writes, shouldn't the Sky and the Bulls do some marketing with their double diamonds? Yes, Diamond is Shields and uh, Diamond Stone. They absolutely should. Can't believe that I just found your podcast. Loving it. Uh, This is from uh, uh, James. James, thank you. Eventually, you will listen to enough of these that you will demand both your time and your money back. (laughs) But that won't be until you get to the the tabernacle speed bump, as we'll, we'll call it now. Uh, Restiva writes, Tom, I can't believe that in last week's discussion on walk-up music, neither of you said you would use Ball and Chain by Social Distortion. It's a catchy, highly motivational, and after all, the second best Ball and Chain song ever recorded. Top honors, of course, go to Tom, Dick, and Hari. This is from Tom, parentheses, not your brother, Tom, in Annandale, Virginia. And he encloses a link, Social Distortion's song Ball and Chain, which I don't need because, as you, Rebecca, may know, or at least the kids know, uh, Ball and Chain by Social Distortion came on the uh, the satellite radio the other day, and I took a screen, I took a picture of the dashboard. Did I show that to you, or did you did not? One no. of the kids found it on my phone, and uh, and it is indeed a very catchy song. And I just want to quote for listeners who may not be familiar with it, who may only be familiar with the Tom Dick and Harry Ball and Chain uh, song, the uh, the first lines of Ball and Chain by Social Distortion. Well, it's been ten years and a thousand tears, and look at the mess I'm in—a broken nose and a broken heart an empty bottle of gin. While I sit and pray in my broken down Chevrolet, while I'm singing to myself, there's got to be another way. Take away, take away, take away this ball and chain. So, liquid courage invoked in uh, Social Distortion's ball and chain. Perfect. But it is a great song. Uh, Sean writes, uh, greetings from the steamer capital of the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, today's Quick notes as I catch up on episode 43. The first is on Rebecca having someone waiting as she got off a plane with a 16 by 20 photo. Sean is an autograph uh, collector here. Uh, I can answer how they know Rebecca and Holly Rowe are coming. I would be happy to tell privately how they knew. So that may be insider knowledge for you. He's not willing to tell publicly. But does he realize that if he tells us privately, I will then tell it publicly on the podcast, but I, I can't wait. Forward me that email it, it so that be, I can... It may be something that you... I will. Um, my first email asked Rebecca about autographs weeks ago, and I audibly groaned when I heard her say stalkers on episode 43. I think you've impugned the integrity. I'm, I'm saying this. Steve is saying this now, but Sean is not saying it. It's exactly the stereotype of autograph collectors that I hate, writes Sean, yet I understand why we're thought of as such. I've never graphed a hotel. Do you know that verb, graft? Um, no. You do now, okay? okay? I've never graphed a hotel, airport, a hotel, airport, private family time, etc., mainly because, to me, that crosses the privacy line. Although there is a small, elite list of actors and athletes that I would consider, but the same reason that would place them high enough to consider, that would be the reason I won't. You and I, I think we've told this before, saw James Garner absolutely mobbed outside of ABC in New York uh, many years ago when James Garner was still alive, and I think he was a rare uh, guy who didn't sign a lot of autographs. Um, anyway, uh, reason I don't, I respect personal space at the arena slash stadium on arrival, insider departure. Fine. After that, it's the person's personal time. So am I, I, I like his rules. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Like there, there are a fair amount of people who are at, um, 
the the basketball games, the WNBA games, who ask the announcers for their autographs. Of course, most of them want the players' autographs. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever said no to somebody there. I may have asked them to wait a minute right after a game when I'm rushing to the restroom after sitting courtside for two and a half hours. I, I, maybe he can answer this question. I don't know if he has ever um, sent via mail, uh, you know, a, a trading card for an athlete to sign. But um, this happened to me this week, and uh, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I'd say at least 50% of the time, probably more than that, if we if I get a piece of mail with trading cards in it that people have asked me to sign, there's a long handwritten letter where they just say, you know, you did a great job at UConn where you averaged X amount of points oh, and Wikipedia X amount of rebounds, and, and you were terrific as the youngest member of the Olympic team, and, and you did this when you were with Liberty, and they basically write all your stats out, and it's like... I don't understand. Like you, I would much rather have a note in there that just said, um, "I collect autographs. Can you please sign this?" And and I sign them all and send them back. Um, but uh, but it kind of cracks me up that it's like this formula of somebody reciting back to me all of the stats I had as a player when all they really want me to do is sign the playing well, card. Sean and Marilyn encloses a picture of his of what I guess is his desk, and he encloses the picture because we had a discussion of, of old products and whether they still exist on a previous podcast, and he assures us that Absorbing Junior does still exist because here it is on his desk. But next to all of this stuff on his desk are many of these signed collectibles. There's a portrait of Dwight Schrute from The Office on his desk but my favorite he has an autographed puck uh, i can't make out the autograph but i can see that the puck has the logo of the cleveland barons on it of the nhl uh, short-lived uh, nhl team the cleveland barons and uh and i'm fascinated by that i would uh and just to bring my por- my portion of this full circle, I was at a Connecticut Sun game a couple of weeks ago, and a fan who was there, who I've known, she, she's been going to games since I was a player there, asked me, you know, what's the next game you're going to be at? And so I told her. And so when I was at um, the most recent game, which I th- was against Atlanta, she came and handed me a large poster of the original New York Liberty team. It wasn't a poster, it was a photograph, but a large one, signed by every member of the team, including me. And she said, I'm cleaning stuff out. Um, I basically didn't want it anymore. And so she gave it back to me, which was a nice thing to do. But we've talked about this before on the podcast, too, how you get to the point where people are returning to you right. the things that you have signed well, for quickly, them. Well, quickly, because we, we have to go in a minute here. Uh, Sean writes to, uh, uh, to Mr. Rucco on episode 42, to Ryan Rucco, who said it's middle-aged guys with seven items with the inference that they're being sold. The general rule of thumb, writes Sean, if a guy has multiple cards, he's a collector like me. Often those extras are being traded to, other, to the other end of the country. I trade extras. Um, to a guy in California for Cal League affiliates with teams I've never seen like the Padres. Signed baseball cards are essentially worthless. The dealers are always the guys with big pictures, balls, helmets, etc. If a guy has more than one of these items to sign for a player, he is a dealer. But it's usually referring to equipment. The signed cards, he says, do not have a high value. Generally, the middle-aged guy with cards, like me, is trying to stay close to the game while dealing with your kids, leaving the nest, and you're just looking for something to do. So, you know humanizing this, the uh, the, the uh, well i really appreciate this letter sean and i'm fascinated and intrigued i i will be getting back in touch with you via email to find out how you know when people like me and holly Rowe are landing at lax two more real quickly um dear rebecca and steve my wife has a question this is from uh bob in huntersville north carolina do most people at your church back into their parking space? My Presbyterian wife is amused when she attends my Catholic church and sees that most mass goers here in suburban Charlotte do back in, including me. Personally, it's all part of the exit strategy of this self-confessed aisle sealer. Sincerely, your simplest of palindromes, Bob. And Bob, this is a great question. At our church, we can pull uh, to the forward 
a part of two uh, of a double uh, parking lane, so that all we have to do is pull out forward. But there are there are spaces that that back up against the curb, and and almost all of those um, parkers back into that space. And you're absolutely right. The reason is so that they can squeal it's, their tires and smoke their tires and lay a patch on the way out of mass. It's all about the exit strategy. And, and, and they're eyeballing the priest so that when he gets to the back of the church in the recessional, they can they can sprint out of there. We're certainly guilty of that. And uh, and then they can sprint to their car. It's like it's it, it's like the Charlotte Motor Speedway where you are, and they can they can get out of the pit and and, and get out of there. Most of them, pre- pretty soon, all of those people will have transitioned into the Bartleson, where they just go run in, grab the bulletin, absolutely, and leave. That is the Bartleson. P.S. writes Bob. I finished the print-on-demand edition of Road Swing. I laughed on every page and continue to, uh, uh, and he especially enjoyed the onomatopoeia of Mount Rushmore sculptor Gutsan Borglum. Gutsan Borglum, who's name sounds like a fart in a bathtub which is why every time our son jumps in the pool now and gets a big air bubble in the back of the swimsuit he says he says his suit is has borglumed <laughs> or or the verb is the, the your, your the, job as his father is the done. verb is shortened to borgled yeah um, <laughs> your work is done here finally we have breaking news uh this is comes uh in on monday from uh, Dr. Gary Siegel. I don't have yet have a picture to send, but I do have good news. Harriet Hazel Walker of Austin, Texas, was born Sunday night to Amanda and Mark. Amanda, formerly Amanda Siegel, of Austin, Texas, seven pounds, two ounces, and 19 and three quarter inches long. Thanks so much, Gary. Congratulations on Mazel Tov to the family, to Dr. Siegel. And now, one more email from him, and it looks like it is a photograph of young Hattie, uh, Harriet Hazel Hattie, uh, born June 23rd at 8.32 p.m. And look at this. Look at this beauty. It's 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 great podcast fodder because you can't see the picture, but Rebecca, you can. Oh, so you can. she's absolutely adorable. We'll put that right next to Dr. Siegel's other picture he sent us okay. of the Target gift and card. And do you suppose Dr. Siegel is there to second guess to, to Monday morning quarterback? Everything that's been done, yes. Certainly hope so. Well, that's all the time we have for the kids are... are uh, making a racket upstairs the they dog are is barking they're making a racket and uh anyway tom dick hari play us out please saying says no pain no gain and we found that to be fat the road might twist and turn a bit but we all arrive intact mr mom and mrs dad having each other's back Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pet Live in this cuckoo nest Daily grind puts sanity To a daily test Androgynous and ambiguous What we give for a little rest It's day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.